We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 246 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am joined by my friend Levon, better known as Barcelev on Twitter, and he joins me for what is a jam-packed show. How you doing, Levon? I'm good, Dan. How about yourself? I'm all right. It has been an up-and-down day. If you're listening to this on the Monday when we're recording it, you know that we were going to record this on Sunday. I'm glad we didn't, because there's plenty of news, and we're going to get to all of that, but we are going to start by talking Barca-Sevilla first, that is, the match that was the 2-0, and then the match that will be in the Copa del Rey second leg. Then we'll move to the off-the-field stuff, including the recent presidential debate, and another Barca president getting in a cop car, which is not that uncommon, unfortunately, in the 21st century. But let's start with the stuff off the field, or rather on the field first. Yeah, on the field, there we go. Barca have Sevilla in the Copa del Rey second leg, down 2-0, but they did pull out the 2-0 win on Saturday, and they did it with a new formation too. The 3-5-2 obviously worked rather well. There was a clean sheet as well as two goals scored. But do you think, Levon, that Ronald Koeman will try to replicate it again on Wednesday? He might. He might. I mean, it worked against Sevilla. It's the second time that we played it. Uh, I think we beat 3-0. We beat Valladolid 3-0 mm-hmm. before with a 3-5-2, which was one of those first uh, games in which we really saw that connection between Pedri and Messi uh, that everybody was talking about. I'm not sure if he'll do it again, but since Sevilla really did not have an antidote, Lopetegui did not come up with anything in order to counter that 3-5-2 uh, um, this weekend. So why not? It, it makes sense for, for this match. Well, I think the, the why not would probably be what the importance of Pedri is in that system. But in all honesty, though, the more I thought about it, he winds up being more important in that 4-3-3 because of the defensive job that he does have in that 4-3-3. So the argument as to with Pedri, who was out for two weeks with that calf injury, unfortunately, you think about the different options to replace him, whether it's Ricky Puj. You know, we can do the ES Mariba now, or we can do it later, depending on what you want to do. But ES Mariba, who came on as a substitute instead of Ricky Puj uh, on Saturday. But I don't really know if it's instead of. I, I think I'll... Let's do this now. Let's get into it. I, I think... I, I'm not surprised if we see ES Mariba starting against Sevilla over Milan Pjanic. We don't even know if he'll be back in time. So the only other player... And this is because Kolos Alenia is out on loan at Hadafe, and there really aren't any other options in terms of how this squad was built. So Yes Mariba was trusted. He came in, did well. We saw what he did against Alaves, which I consider, again, a 98% good. And then the one, obviously, 
terrible mistake, whatever. And that's going to happen. And I'm glad that happened against Alaves in a blowout win. You almost never expect him to make that kind of mistake again at first team level. As an 18-year-old, I, I think he he had, he had has a different profile. And in recent weeks, people have heard me talk about and, and praise the fact that with Barca B, he is not this midfielder that everybody thinks he is, but he is a, a player that, and why I think he got that those minutes, not over Puj, but because in that game, in that 3-5-2, it was calling out for a midfielder to win the aerial duels to win the second balls. And, and when you're playing that 3-5-2, you have to win the second balls. And Barca did that very, very well in a way that they haven't really done too much this season in other formations. And Busquets this season, when Barca are winning the second balls, he looks really good. When Barca aren't winning the second balls, then he looks a step slow and Barca look a step slow and they look defensively frail. So they were winning those second balls and Ias Mariba with Barca B have done that, has done that very well. The fact that he's getting assists even for Barca B, he doesn't really do that too often. He has the one goal, he has, he has a couple assists, but he's not really that attacking midfielder as everyone thinks he is, like a Paul Pogba. He really is a box-to-box midfielder at Barca B, and that's a job that Coleman is tasking him to do, and that is to win those second balls. So I would not be surprised at all if you saw Ismar Riva start this match, but it's a matter of personnel as well. Right. I think the um, there are a couple of things there that, that are interesting. One is that the second balls uh, are not necessarily won by Ilex Moriba, but when you press as a team, yeah. that puts uh, the opponent under pressure that their their passes are less accurate, uh, and that is also a way to to get those second balls. So um, yeah, Ilex is more physical, so people focus on that, but. Pedri presses very well without being physical. Mm-hmm. Um, when he when he was subbed out uh, against Sevilla, he had actually only had he only had twenty six attempted passes. So in seventy minutes, for a midfielder of his profile in that position in the center of the pitch, that that is very low. So, but he 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 makes a lot of yards. However, Ricky Push also likes to press. Mm-hmm. And he does so quite well. He's very fast, a lot faster than people uh, give him credit for. So we'll see. I, I also think what you mentioned was very interesting that Kuman did not seem to care at all about the mistake that he likes made against, uh, was it Alaves? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was very nice to see. Uh, and it will be interesting to see what he's going to do. Um, I don't think Pjanic is going to play. Um, I would not at all be surprised if it's uh, Moriba, but he might not even go for 3-5-2, in which right. case um, we're going to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, you can't honestly think that it's going to be Griezmann on the bench in two big, important matches, right? And right. that's been the issue with Griezmann this season, that when he went on that fine form in January and February, you see the detractors now saying, well, look who was on the schedule. Look who Barcelona wind up getting 14 straight results against. You can't really say that they've won that big match this season other than when Real Sociedad was near the top of the table and there was that win in a few months ago and then this win against Sevilla those are the two biggest matches that were that Barca got uh, major points out of this season and yeah they got the draw earlier with Sevilla in the season but Sevilla were worse than they were and Barca were still kind of going through their own thing Uh, but to the point back to Griezmann that we saw that 3-5-2 what was best about Dembele was his verticality that we saw this, this him run into spaces that aren't necessarily available to him. And then even looking at the heat map, Dest was farther forward than anybody else as a wing back. As a wing back. And so it wasn't a matter of playing a 3-5-2 with Dembele as a wing back on the left or Griezmann as that wing back on the left or right. You are actually playing two fullbacks as your wing back. So that means that in that formation, there is really no place for Martin Brothwaite, especially with playing with Messi. And there really is no place for, for Griezmann. So, I mean, you can't possibly make me believe it that Coleman is going to leave Griezmann on the bench for two straight matches in two big matches, even if that is what, I mean, 
might be best for the largest number of players in the squad. And I, I guess, Levon, the bigger question, I know you respond to Griezmann, but the, the issue all season long that Francesca and I go on and on and on about when you talk about formation, Coleman's ideas, how do you get the best out of the largest number of players in the squad? Because it's a squad that Messi set up the summer doesn't make, it doesn't all the way make sense. And it won't make sense mm-hmm. because you have a lot of parts that it just doesn't fit one system or one fluid way that you have players like, again, uh, Griezmann and Coutinho will never really fit with Messi. It's not the profile player they are. And Dembele playing off Messi only makes sense when you have an Ansu Fadi or another winger on the other side, right? So it's just, it's, it's right. never really a solution that I think, I don't think Coleman, and people all keep getting on me that I'm defending Coleman, but it's a matter of no matter what the manager would be, you have a squad that was never really going to perfectly fit together. And Coleman's had to try out a million different things based on the situation as to what he could possibly try to get the best out of. I think the four-two-three-one made a lot of sense. That it did not work might be the formation, or it might just be simple um, uh, squad dynamics, or mm-hmm. any other number of reasons. I completely forgot about Griezmann. My first, my first thought when uh, Pedri went out and after the match, I thought, well, you know, um, then Messi will slide back into midfield in Pedri's slot, and it will be Griezmann and Dembélé mm-hmm. uh, up top. Griezmann is actually a lot better at making those runs and especially finishing uh, when he receives a through ball because that's actually one of Dembélé's weaknesses. He generally does not like to receive the ball into space. He likes to receive it at his feet. And if there's space behind the defender, he can then dribble past him and take advantage of the space. But he does not like to make that run and then finish, his, uh, finish off through balls that are being fed to him. The question then becomes, of course, if um, Messi plays where... Uh, where we saw Pedri on the weekend, then in attack, he can create a lot of danger there because because of being messy, of course. But he cannot like he cannot defend as well as Pedri um, and much less a prolonged effort. So it will be interesting to see what Koeman does. Uh, another thing that he could do is he could try Griezmann in that um, in that slot, although in the midfield slot, I mean. But I don't know how that would work out. Yeah, I mean, on paper, it does make a bit of sense in that the defensive responsibilities for Messi playing just off the shoulder of Dembele, that press worked rather well. I think that was um, arguably the best pressing 90 minutes we saw from Messi this season, potentially. And and it's not a matter of intensity, or, or rather, it was that... We've seen in previous matches against Athletic Club, even though it was a loss in the Spanish Super Cup, Messi was working hard in that match, but the team was not pressing in unison together. And it's interesting to note as well that in that 3-5-2, we haven't mentioned Frankie de Jong, who was one of the best players in January and February, and was really thriving as that box-to-box midfield in the 4-3-3. Now, he takes a much more reserved role, and in the same way of that 4-2... and I guess to say, uh, you know, start, we're getting in the weeds of formations, but uh, it's fine to get in these conversations when you have a formation change. That in that 4-2-3-1, we thought on paper that Busquets and De Jong together would make sense. And yet mm-hmm. in that 3-5-2, now that actually does make sense with Busquets and De Jong together because De Jong is allowed to offensively in possession have that space. And I've been talking in recent weeks about, and I'll keep talking about it, in that rest defense as what are the positions of the Barca players right before they lose the ball. So when Messi dribbles straight up the middle. And you saw against Sevilla, it was that's what made Barca so defensively sound, that when Messi had all that coverage in the middle of the field right behind him, that it wasn't worrying about getting in the positions to get out that counterattack. It wasn't running back into your spots. It was that Barca were already set up with that rest defense, that the minute Messi lost the ball up ahead, it was, it was it's, high, it's high risk, rather it's low risk, high reward, where Messi, if he can dribble past five, as he did on, uh, what was it? I think it was, yeah, leading to the... 
an almost goal by whoever it was. I don't remember who it was. I think it was maybe Death Shot. So on the Death Shot, when they were setting a possession in the final third, Messi winds up dribbling past four, and now you've got a, a shot on goal. Clear shot. Clear target. Barca just didn't finish. And when he did lose the ball in those circumstances, in earlier weeks in that 4-3-3, now you're hoping that Pedri and De Jong were in the right positions. But if De Jong had made a run to the box and then Messi loses the ball, now you've got a problem on your hand and it's Busquets in a one-on-one counterattack situation. But in that 3-5-2, you have Busquets able to always set up and in complete preparation for, for the counterattack. And as much as people want to say he's lost a step, sure, he's lost a step. But he also, the thing between the ears hasn't aged at all. The thing between the ears still knows where he needs to be on those counterattacks. Sometimes physically he just can't get to those spots. But in that 3-5-2, he's always going to be able to get into that spot because he's able to read the game so, so well when Messi is, is going to give up the ball. And he doesn't have to need to help uh, offensively exactly. in that way up the middle. Exactly. Um, I think the other thing with the 3-5-2 is apart from it working well against Sevilla, long term, it's not really an option for Kuman. Right. So it might work well now, but if you say, okay, I'm going to stick with that uh, that formation, then, you know, when Ansu Fati is back, um, you're going to have both, or you're going to have two of Ansu Fati, Griezmann, and Dembele on the bench. And that just doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I so, mean, it, so that's another problem with, yeah. with that formation. Yeah, I mean, it's this odd thing that we can argue all this season. And this is, you know, for Frances, he, he, he always feels like he, he's saying the same thing week in and week, week out because we are. Where you're looking ahead to next season and mm -hmm. Ansu Fadi is arguably, I mean, as he was in the first two months, aside from Messi, whether or not Messi is staying or leaving, Ansu Fadi is the most important offensive player that Barcelona has. So getting the best out of Ansu Fadi is going to be priority number one over Dembele and Griezmann and Coutinho. If, if whichever ones are still around at the club next season. So it's interesting that Ansu Fadi and all of these experiments are happening without him, where when he was around, he only played in that 5-2-3-1, I mean, in that 4-2-3-1. So we haven't seen him in the 3-5-2. We haven't seen him in the 4-3-3. You'd think that Ansu Fadi on the left in that 4-3-3 is going to be absolutely devastating. And those chances that he does, I mean, his chance create, I mean, not chance creation, but his chance finishing rate is very, very high, much higher than Griezmann, mm -hmm. much, much higher than Dembele. So you're thinking about all the chances, and that was the issue against Sevilla the first time. Barca didn't play poorly in the first leg of the Copa del Rey. Uh, Sevilla finished their chances to some really, uh, as I said, individual efforts from Kunde. I mean, what a, what a goal that was. Hats off to him. Mm -hmm, yeah. But Barca, if they had finished their chances, it's a different tie. It wasn't that Sevilla blew Barca out to nothing. And Ansu Fadi, if he's there, Barca finished those chances. So I don't know as much it's a system problem as much as it's just Barca don't finish as often as they should. Well, we don't finish as much as we should, although... That our finishing is not as bad as the first couple of months of the season. For sure. And and the other one is all all of the gimmies that we give up in in our defense, which is just absurd. Like I don't think I've ever seen a season where so, where we have conceded so many goals because of defensive errors. Um, the thing with Ansu Fati is that, and and this is very interesting, we have Messi, and Messi used to be impossible to defend. Now it's just difficult to defend, mm -hmm. but it used to be impossible to defend. We have Dembélé. And defending Dembélé is also a nightmare. However, Ansu Fati, he's a little bit like Cristiano Ronaldo. You can defend him and you can keep him quiet, but he's going to score. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he has this innate ability to just pop up right at the, right at the, uh, the exact right time and put the ball in the net. So I, I think that if we're talking long-term, to have Dembele on the right, Ansu Fati on the left, and then whoever we're going to end up having 
in the middle could be very interesting. But ideally, you have somebody in, in the middle who defenders have to worry about. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Join. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's going to be as far as what the attacking talent is for Barcelona. Uh, it continues to be the question of who can you get the best out of, and it's a hierarchy of if you're getting the best out of Messi. I mean, and throwing Fati out for a second because he's not available, neither is Coutinho. But if you're getting the best out of Messi and Dembele and De Young and Pedri, that's enough, right? You don't necessarily need to be getting the best out of Griezmann and Brothwaite. You you never have a system mm-hmm. around Brothwaite, right? As long as you can get no. the best out of X number of players, you're fine. And I think when you talk about system, what's been so positive, and there's a, I went on a radio show this past week that will be out. I'll, I'll plug it whenever it comes out. And I, I talked about the academy, and I came on. It was it was not a Barca related thing. And so, when you speak about the academy, the uh, La Masia is seen with obviously great reverence. But I think over the last six seven years, because of Sergio Roberto being the final one to come from, and then Ricky Puj having trouble breaking through, and X Y all, all these different things. And obviously Ansu Fati, they go well. You know, it's I, I don't think they almost see Ansu Fati as a as a uh, academy product, even though he, he severely is right, and he's a testament to, to the academy. Okay, so Definitely. obviously on the Barcelona podcast, we are biased to saying that I watch Juvenil A matches, I watch occasional Juvenil B matches, I watch Barcelona B, and I'm telling you that there is still so much talent in La Masia. And I've been doing that for two, three years as these players mm-hmm. aren't breaking through. Now comes this moment where it seems like the dam is starting to break. And I don't think this is a, a fake thing that uh, Frances says a lot, that if two or three Barcelona B generational players break through, you can still build a team that way. And it's then the rest of it is all you add the rest of the talent elsewhere because to be a global brand and be a global Champions League competing, like, you can't possibly get all these players from the mm-hmm. 
Catalonia region, <laughs> you know, around the world. It's a global game. You cannot possibly uh, get that kind of um, uh, the co collection of talent in such a small space. It doesn't happen. Anyway. It does so, have a quick question. Yeah. Are you talking about two or three uh, players breaking through per season or per generation? Uh, well, somewhere in between. In between. I mean, I, I, I can't speak for Frances. Again, that's why he's on the mm -hmm. show normally. But for me, it's that I hope to see every two to three years, two to three players break through. So it's not necessarily one year per year, uh, one per year, but it, but if Barcelona, and it doesn't have to be the starters. That's the other point, too, that mm -hmm. Carlos Lenya can be player 24 out of a 25-man squad. And you've got a good player at your 22nd to 24th best player. And the same argument can be made for uh, Oscar Mingueza and E.S. Mariba. And this is why I bring this up. E.S. Mariba has been touted for quite a few years now. And I've done my best, as people who read right. Barca blog, whatever, not to overhype this kid. Because there is certainly, a, especially if you watched him last year with Barca B. It was his first year with Barca B when he really was still Juvenil A age. Obviously, he's only 18 now. So he was 17 with Barca B in the third division. He didn't really look like he was fitting. It was the first time in his career where the, the players on the other side of him were 35 years old and they were just as strong, just as fast. And these were athletes that he had to get used to having always been one of the biggest and strongest players mm -hmm. at every level, right? And the way that he's adapted this season and seemingly found himself in the third division, which is a different player than he was, as I said, when he was the biggest player on the field. He could do whatever he wanted. He could score gold, long-range shots, whatever. Now he has to find his spots. He takes long shots occasionally, but he has to find and pick his moments. But regardless of all that, Ies Mariba, because of his size, because of what he was showing even with the ball at his feet, was always considered a future star. That's why he's the best-paid player in the academy. I mean, yeah. Barca have earmarked him as a guy, right? So you hope that you hope that Ies Mariba down the line in five years' time, he's a starting midfielder. That's what you hope for Barcelona. He's a starter. Oscar Mingueza, though, I mean, I watched him for years, and those of the pod know I've said this, that I watched him for two or three years with Barca B, and I thought that this or last season was going to be his final one at the club. He just, he was a, he was the third or fourth option at center back for the B team last year. He was also the backup right back. So he would come off the bench a lot, or there was a lot of injuries, so he would start in, in time. This was never who Oscar Mingueza was. He was always his player who was just on the fringes of the B team. And now you tell me that he plays so well and he finds his spots. And he, you, I mean, it's just, it's just weird. I don't want to go into dogma here, right? I don't want to say that, hey, you just got to give these kids a chance because Mingueza hadn't really earned the opportunity with the first team. But now because of an emergency, he winds up becoming what is a really promising first team player. Do I ever think he's going to be a starter? I, I don't I don't think so. But if Oscar Mingueza is your backup right back, you're in a good spot. If he's your backup or if he's your fourth choice center back and your backup right back, you've got a good player in your hands. And I think that's just been a testament to the academy saying that you can both get the future star in Ies Mariba, but you can also find a rotation player. And it's not necessarily every player has to be a star. And that's why a lot of players leave because they think they're going to be the star. But if you can get the fringe players to come up in the from the academy as well, then that's the that's the true power of the academy to get both your stars and those fringe players depending on the generations. Yeah, I think I think Oscar Mingueza he's probably like the happiest person in the whole world right now. <laughs> like every night he goes to bed and he's like still squeezing his arm. Like, is this really happening? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, even even at uh, a level so high as uh, the Barcelona uh, youth system where they they scout and they get the best kids in Catalonia and um, not just the best kids in Catalonia, but also some of the best people, uh, best young players in Spain from a very young age, like Ansu Fati, for example. It's not a coincidence that Ansu Fati ended up in Barcelona. They uh, went to Sevilla when, how mm -hmm. old was he? 
Uh, Ten years he, old, eleven. Yeah, years he old? was he was discovered by discovered by Barcelona at nine, and then he came to the academy at I think eleven. And same with yeah. Gabi, Gabi, who just made his Barca B debut. He's a Real Betis product, so yeah, mm-hmm. right. And at Sevilla, so, that 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 bloodline too. Juan Miranda is another one. So the, yeah, so, those are all from the Sevilla region. Yeah. So so even even at that level of excellent of excellence and and talent, the amount the amount of kids that make it, not even at Barca, but in professional football. Right. Is maybe is maybe one or two per team. So to to expect somebody to break through every year, um, that might be a bit much. And I don't care if it's a future starter or or a squad player, to break through and be there to stay for the for the next five, ten years, I think I think that's a bit much. I think systematically we have to do a lot better than we have done uh, the last ten years. So the ones who are truly ta- talented, like Tiago, you need to keep them. Um, the ones who are talented enough for a back uh, for a backup role, like uh, Grimaldo, he should have stayed at least a couple of seasons uh, instead of getting Digna. But I also think it's generational. So it's normal that after the amazing generation of uh, Xavi, uh, Puyol, Iniesta, and after that came uh, Messi, Piquet and uh, sesk they're kind of overlapping generations to get that kind of talent is not normal like it just does not right right right. that happens maybe once in a lifetime so now to see kids like ansu fati break through and push who i still think has enormous talent uh, and you have all these kids in the background like um what's the moroccan kid he's 16 juvenil a but he's getting some games in Barca B as oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a Comash. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's 16. He's got magic at his feet. Yeah, for sure. And so on and so on. Like, mm-hmm. let's hope we take advantage of it. Uh, at the same time, then I see all these people who say, well, you know, uh, if we lose Collado, it's a disaster. Um, Jandro, he has to play now. Uh, yeah, but hold on. Like, what do you want? You're still a, a club like Barca still, still needs to compete. Mm-hmm. You cannot put 20... 18, 19, 20-year-olds out there, um, that's not going to work. So not all of them are, are going to make it. And even some of the talented ones will probably need to go somewhere else. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I've argued this year was that Collado was directly competing with Trincao, and Trincao, you paid what you did for him. So Trincao's mm-hmm. going to get those minutes. And I think Trincao has... Uh, Trinkau is also a year younger than than Callado as well, should be mentioned. So while Callado, as I've even said, even against Yeda yesterday or two days ago or yesterday, he was the best player on the field. He's been the best player in the third division this season. Has Alice Callado. However, he's again having to break in. He got injured at the beginning of preseason, and Barca had bought, uh, had, had bought Trincao, so he, that's what he was competing with. Well, my argument for Hunter Oriana, who doesn't necessarily have the same potential maybe that Callado does, um, it's looked like because Pianos hasn't been the answer that you're looking for a successor to fill in for Busquets. And so I, it's a matter of need. So why has Mingueza gotten an opportunity over Callado? Well, it's because mm-hmm. Barcelona needed Mingueza profile. Why is Ies Mariba now getting his opportunity? Well, that's because Ies Mariba is, um, he makes sense that because Pianis was injured, Ies Mariba sees his opportunity. And that's why we're seeing Ies Mariba because Pianis was sure. hurt. And so, I mean, that's what it is. It's merely getting opportunities. And same thing with Ansu Fadi. Ansu Fadi was only called up because of injuries in the preseason. So then you got Ansu Fadi, and then he scores that, what was it? He scored the first goal, I believe it was, uh, Osasuna, 
or Osasuna. whatever. The yeah, header. yeah. So he, he gets a header against Osasuna and he puts himself on the map and then he scores five goals in the first two months and you're like, oh, okay, he's a first team player. <laughs> you can't you can't argue. And yes, maybe might do the same thing. If he goes out and starts against Sevilla in that second leg of the Copa del Rey and he winds up having this, not even a great performance, but Barca wind up getting result and he wound up being an important player, then he's a first team player, maybe now. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. he gets. He gets paid to be a first team player, unlike Pandra Oriana. Right, who's expected to be maybe a player to break through, and he's going to have to wait and be and be patient. Well, the, uh, yeah, I'll give you like, a final point on this, and then we're going to move on to the election. Go, yeah, final point for you. To to, to be fair on this, Kuman does a pretty good job at not really caring who gets paid what. Mm, yeah. So Kuman will happily uh, bench uh, Miralem Pjanic to play Ilex Moriva. Which obviously makes everybody, I mean, giddy, right? Our, yeah. our, yeah. <laughs> of course. We lose our minds in that habit, of course. <laughs> and uh, before you move on, there's, there's one uh, one anecdote. Since we're talking about uh, young players, mm-hmm. I missed I missed Ansu Fati's debut. Oh, no. Um, it was the first match in the camp now. I went to the beach with, uh, with my family. Uh, with my wife and my daughter, and we have to take the train to go go to the beach because we don't go to the beach in the in the city because it's just filled with tourists. So we go a bit further out. Mm-hmm. And I told him, well, you know, it's the first match of the season. Um, you know, I'm gonna leave you guys early, and I'm gonna go watch the game, right? So my wife's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do exactly what I say. At some point, I say, okay, well, I'll see you guys at home, and I go to the stadium. I arrive at the stadium. I'm at the gates, and then I realized that I that I left my uh, my carnet, my season tickets at home. I was like, "Oh my god, the first game of the season, I'm gonna miss it because I'm I'm such an idiot that I, that I left the thing at home. Yeah. I'm not gonna walk home and then then come back, even though it's like 20 minutes. It's like you know, I, was, I ended up just watching the watching the game at the bar because I didn't want to yeah. miss miss the beginning. So in the end, I, I actually missed uh, Ansu Fati's debut. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we've all been there. I think in, in, what was it, in college for basketball, I covered the basketball team. I was at every basketball game, and then I had, like, a little bit of a fever where I wasn't, I wasn't really feeling great, so I stayed in bed, and then there was a, 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 a like, a, what is it, a 75-foot buzzer beater at the end to win it. Oh, so my God. From the yeah. other half. He, he, from almost the other basket, our best player throws it up, you know, 80 feet, <laughs> 75 feet, and every everyone, like, my roommate, my roommate, I could hear my roommate screaming from the gym, but I'd been at every game. I mean, I, again, I covered the team. I did play-by-play, and, yeah, isn't that... <laughs> it was these, these moments always happen. These are the ones you remember yeah. because you weren't there to remember them, <laughs> but you remember them seemingly better. So, uh, well, what, on a, I guess to say going from that excitement to what is a little less exciting, but I don't know, somehow more important. It's it's less exciting, <laughs> but more important is everything going on with the presidential election. Again, we're going to end with the Bartomeu right. stuff, but I want to do the election because Frances and I have spoken in depth about the upcoming elections and the three candidates in, in Juan Laporta, Victor Font, and Tony Frescia. But regular listeners know that Frances and I don't actually have a vote. <laughs> as much as we, okay. we love it, as much as we care, we actually don't have a vote because of we, we are not official mm-hmm. socios. For, because well, most, we're, people, we're not most people don't have a vote. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not yep. located. But you, my friend, are in Barcelona, and my guest today does have a vote. So he won't be <laughs> revealing who he's voting for. Uh, we're, th- th- don't don't worry about that. You can bother I him. I haven't decided yet. He has it right. He's figuring it out. And we're <laughs> going to figure out exactly why, uh, why he's still figuring it out. Because that's between him and his ballot. But he did watch the recent debate that Laporta did take part in. Unlike the first one, when it was just fresh against Font, Laporta took part in this one. So it is great and perfect timing to have you discuss this and give Frances a week off. So I'm going to ask you the hard one first. It, it's, this is a difficult question. Aside mm-hmm. from the obvious stuff about what he said, uh, what he said, he said, blah, 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 blah. And we, we saw a lot in the debate that it was a lot of Xavi this, Xavi that, yada, 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 right? There's this oversimplification, I think, that Laporta is nostalgia 
and he's going to show you what he did in 03, and he's going to, you know, solve all the problems again as the white knight that he is. That Font is trying to push a project, and and in recent weeks and months, that project has begun to fall apart because of the, the belief he's had in certain people to be part of that project. And then Fresha is the one that is hoping that his connections with Catalan society and what he has as far as the connections with current Barca are enough to kind of get him through. Or That seems to be the oversimplification. And so your reaction is fair to that oversimplification. And I think all that stuff that I mentioned is kind of negative. So I would ask you first, what positives do you see in each of these campaigns? You can go one by one if you'd like. No, yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason I'm not saying anything is I'm thinking about Fraser. Um... <laughs> right. Well, I, I was going to set you up in that. It's, uh, it's fair to, that Fraser to, is, to, is not To Fraser's credit, I, I don't know if you saw the video of um, uh, Laporta uh, hugging the, the empty ma the, the mannequin with Messi's shirt. Oh, I, we did see it. Many of those in our Facebook listener group did see that, yes. Yeah, so on, on Twitter, it's just that video, but it was actually a documentary here on, uh, mm. on Catalan TV uh, where all three candidates were asked, uh, were put in front of that shirt and asked, hey, what would you do if uh, like your first, uh, reenact your first conversation with, uh, with Messi? And I thought Laporta and, well, it was, I thought it was a bit embarrassing uh, for a grown man to start hugging uh, hugging his shirt. Uh, Victor Font kind of like stumbled through it, did not really impress either. Um, but Freysa had the dignity not to talk to, to a mannequin, but just to look at the camera and say, hey, you know, Messi has the, is the best player that we've ever had. And I have nothing but uh, words of, uh, of thanks towards Messi. Um, so what I can say in favor of Faisa is in that particular sequence that lasted less than one minute of his life, he left, he left with his dignity intact. Uh... Terrific. <laughs> okay, so I, I should have phrased my question a little better that this, while the election is, it, it appears that Juan, uh, Juan Laporta is going to be the favorite, mm -hmm. what is the discussion currently going on? Again, the word project is being thrown out, I think, improperly, where... If you're the favorite, it's it's politics 101 to keep your plan close to the vest. Why would you put something out there for criticism if what you're doing, as in not doing anything, is going to lead you to the presidency? So it's completely fair that Laporta has not come forward with his project. Though with the debate, I think he's been proud a little bit more to re not reveal, but to say, hey, there's a problem. And Font and Laporta are the two that have, obviously there's three candidates, but we've known from the beginning that they're trying to have, uh, they're trying to put forth ideas and they will put forth ideas to try to get Barca out of the financial issues they're currently having. So uh, what are the projects? If you if you were asked, and this is what I'm asking you, if you were asked, what is Laporta's project? I'll do that, then we'll do fun. So we'll do them separately even. What is Laporta's project? And, and what, what has he told, or what has been, he been said that not only what he's going to try to do, but what is his current project? I don't know. Right. I, maybe, no. that's, maybe that's true. I still, no, I still don't know. His financial project, there's, there's something about, I don't know if it's bonds, or um, that, that, that people can buy that will help the club get out of debt. But I'm not good at economics and I'm not sure how that works. So then you have some, some candidates who say, no, this is not possible. It puts it at even more risk. Uh, Laporta says, no, you're lying. It does not put us on risk. Uh, this is something that um, maybe you have the wrong guest, but 99% of us who will talk about this actually do not know enough about right. economics to, to, to know whether that is going to work or not. And the more you read about it, the less you know. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's it's, it's completely fair. Yeah, but you know, it, but going um, back to the politics of it, that I mean, that it's 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 fine that it's it's unknown because again, the unknown still supports Laporta's mm-hmm. case, right? Yeah. That you'd rather it, it's about do you trust him? Do you are you willing to trust him as they once did? And then Font, when you when I say what is Font's project, then obviously there's a little more detail there. I mean, with Font also, you don't know until it happens because Font um, uh, talks a lot about multimedia, um, but. As crazy as, I'm, as I am about Barca, I'm not going to pay for a Barca app on my phone. If Barca decides, uh, you know, um, we're going to pay, we're going to ask everybody uh, 10 cents a month or one euro a month to follow our Twitter account, I'm going to say, forget about it. Right. Um, so I don't really know how much his plan of uh, modernizing our club will will actually help us or not. Freixa wants to sell uh, Barca corporate for 250 million. First of all, I don't think he, he can. And second of all, I think that if he does, then the only reason that somebody would invest that money is because they expect to get better off of it in the long run, uh, which leaves us without future income in the long run. A lot of Bar- what Laporta claims is that you know he has experience in turning the club around, uh, both on a financial level uh, and and the sporting project. Doesn't mean that he will repeat it. Um, well, I much prefer Laporta over the people who have been running the club the last 10 years. Yeah. That's so yeah. if I have to choose between Laporta and what we had, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> um, but then again, does Laporta have the, uh, the humility to realize that when he turned the club around, it was not him by himself, but it was him and an amazing team, m- many of whom are not here anymore. Not only that, but working against him. No. I mean, when you talk about the, when going all the best at the Catalan uh, the academies, the fact that Man City, which is, uh, we don't talk about their ownership group, but because they have a stake in Girona, they have scouts in Catalonia as deep as what Barcelona has at the moment. I mean, and I'm not talking even Girona, but they obviously with Ferran Soriano and Chiqui Pajiristain, they're looking to Catalonia as a region that Man City is almost trying to take as their territory as well in terms of, in terms of scouting. When you look at the number of young Spanish talent there. So it's not even that Laporta had this great team then, but this team is now working for clubs in direct opposition of what he's trying to put forward. And, and to that point about mm-hmm. Laporta too, uh, this is again, the, the credit to him I think is deserved is that he was president at a time when there was a global recession going on. And so his connections to Catalan business and uh, we'll say the Catalan elites of the time were able to create some kind, I mean, he did have to make the connections, if you will, to bring that team into his club. And can he create a team similar to that again? We're not sure until it happens. And then the other part of the Laporta is that the reason Barcelona were able to thrive so much with revenue is that because he did and his team had the uh, proper, they took chances. They listened to Johan Cruyff and they took chances and the sporting project worked. And when the sporting project worked and Messi became the global superstar that he did and Champions Leagues were coming, then revenue was increased. And so if Barcelona have a sporting project that winds up winning three out of four Champions Leagues or whatever it may be, two in the next four years after next season, now the revenue is, is, is resolved. However, and I think the worrying sign to me, and this is going to directly connect to the Bartomeu stuff, the most worrying sign about the finances of the club are not Barcelona in five to ten years. It's Barcelona and the short-term debt that they're currently worrying with. Now, this is what I've dug into in, in recent weeks, that short-term debt and what Barcelona do in the next 365 days is so terrifying. And that is what made the delay of the election of four months 
so terrifying as well. Those are the two parts that actually, I think, in the long run are still going to be the scars that the club are left with. That because, and even though a president can come in, there's only so much that a president can do. But I do know that behind the scenes, a president uh, can sign off on ideas that other people who are still working with good faith at the club are trying to put forward. They cannot get approval until the president comes in. So there are things in the works that are there are so close that aren't necessarily just we're not talking about Bartomeu and his Goldman Sachs loan. We're talking about other things related to the club that are just waiting for approval and just waiting for institutional belief that a president will bring. And it goes all it takes us all the way back to the start of the club with with with, with Juan Gamper, where Juan Gamper wound up being this bigger figurehead, not in a Florentino Perez kind of way, but because he had been a former player and he represented the club in in, in that way. And there have been presidents over time in the club's history that have that seemingly have come from within the club and moved up that way. And that's why everyone always says Gerard Piquet is a future president for that very reason. That's what they want, but it doesn't actually fit what's on paper. And Laporta saying, hey, I'm with the club because I was the club before is what makes me the best candidate for this job now. Yeah, and it, there, there might be something in there, uh, in that because um, also Laporta has a lot of charisma uh, and he, he has a big personality. So... What you, what you might see happen is that um, players who would not be willing to lower their wages for, well, definitely not for Freysia. Sure. Um, and maybe not for Font either. Laporta will be able to convince them because he's Laporta. The same if you ask me, hey, um, to lower the debt, who would I prefer to send out uh, uh, to negotiate the lowering of that debt? I think Laporta can probably get more done mm -hmm. than uh, than Freysia, which is nobody nobody likes and people take advantage of, or uh, Victor Font. Now, that's just a hunch. What do I know? Right. Well, what, you know? what we do, what we do know is that the way it's been run and those negotiations, those negotiations, that's been the problem. That uh, starting with Messi, and because not to say that Messi didn't mm -hmm. respect Bartomeu, but he didn't like Bartomeu. There was there was no incentive for Messi to, as much as he he loves the club, there was no incentive for him to work with Bartomeu if he didn't want to work with Bartomeu. And that led to the wage issue, right. and that that led to all the other players. I mean, collecting huge, huge wages, and it winds up being an issue. So I think the first instance that we know, because again, the president will be they they it's supposed to be announced on Sunday night, so uh, Barcelona time, so in the afternoon here in the U.S., I'll know who the new president of Barcelona is. Again, most likely Juan Laporta. I think the first test is, even though these numbers aren't entirely public, when we find when Eric Garcia, who Pep Guardiola has said will be coming to Barcelona free transfer, if his wages become public and we see what his wages are and where he stacks up in that wage hierarchy, we are going to know exactly the kind of pull. I think that's the first test. That's the first time where I think we're going to hint as to how wages are going to look going forward because that is certainly going to be, in the long run, the, the way to get this club back on right. Again, it doesn't solve the short-term debt. I'm really interested to see what happens. But what I do know is, uh, regardless of which three is elected, here's a transition, regardless of which of those three is elected, I can't imagine anyone doing a poorer job than the former president in Jose Bartomeu, who was today arrested in relation to the I3 Venture <laughs> scandal. The social media campaign, uh, again, for those who were living under a rock, it was a social media campaign weighs against players at the club. Now, he wasn't arrested. I want to make this clear because Twitter can confuse people. <laughs> he wasn't arrested for his connection to the mean things he said. You cannot go to jail for being mean to people on Twitter. Um, I mean, Barcelona, I, I think, Levon, you may have gotten two to three months uh, based on some of your ordinary comments sometimes, not not at people. It's never directed at people like Bartomeu and his, and his, and his group. But yes, you cannot go to jail. Just So so, so you're put to ease, Levon. You cannot go to jail for saying mean things about club legends on social media. But it does come down to the money. That's where the, that's where the problem is. And now, an external audit had cleared the club of any wrongdoing. 
but the investigation with local police, the Catalan police, has still gone forward. And that's why we're seeing these arrests now. The issue for the reason him being jailed is the way that that money that is it was circulated was delivered to the company in question. So allegedly, and allegedly is the key word here, the club paid 1 million euros per year in 200,000 euro installments for work that was valued between 150 and 175,000 euros. And those payments were pulled from different departments around the club and then sent to different companies that are owned by a businessman named Carlos Hibanez. So him owning those different companies and then uh, money going to from different departments to Barca into different companies, that obviously always financially is going to raise some from red flags. That's why the 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 organized or the investigation is being done by the the financial crime unit in Catalonia. That is the ones who are, uh, that are going forth with this investigation. So the other problem would be that if the Catalan police believe that Bartomeu and those connected to him tampered with evidence, as in destroyed it as while this investigation was underway, uh, that's why he and then CEO Oscar Grau and uh, Wame um, Masferrer, a former director, and then the club lawyer Roman Gomez Ponti. Those are the four names that were arrested as of today, and the Catalan police have said that there might be others who are, who are, who are collected as well, and they might not actually go to jail or be put to trial or whatever it is like everyone's going to be salivating at the mouth for this might just be because they the Catalan police raided the Barcelona office and but say raided they got the cooperation of the club so it's not a raid <laughs> the club said hey you know we, we're we want the full judicial uh judicial uh plan to or progress to play out so they did give access this wasn't a raid <laughs> they was they were given access to 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 the, to the documentation that they the Catalan police wanted to look at so that I, I think these four potentially were jailed in the short term so that there would be no tampering with evidence and that that investigation go forward so I I, I think it again it is uh, innocent until proven guilty but as you know Levon if I say innocent until proven guilty that means that I side with Bartomeu who I said I said many many unpleasant things about on the show yet of course it's siding with him if, if you say yeah guilty until proven innocent uh sorry <laughs> Freudian slip there innocent until proven guilty uh there we go yeah so it, this is a complicated thing where once again it comes down to money and things we don't understand but people are frothing at the mouth because I mean it seems like justice is coming not for the club because it's a terrible look for the club Juan Laporta said it I think he's the one who said it best that this is a stain, another black mark on the club. This is not good. There's nothing, something to celebrate. But if justice is to be done, it helps close that chapter and put, we'll say, the evil of the club behind you. And to move forward into, it gives you a bright light. It starts a new chapter where Bartomeu is gone and he's getting punished for, he was the only evil thing at the club. <laughs> Somebody's going to sleep in prison tonight. It's not going to be me. Um, <laughs> no. Look, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. For the club, I was gonna actually say that they are guilty until proven innocent because we we can all feel it. We've all uh, seen what is going going on with this club. I don't really uh, think Laporta was a hundred percent clean either. Um, I don't know if we've ever had a president that has been a hundred percent clean, mm -hmm. knowing the, um, that corruption is endemic in in spain as it is in the united states uh as it is in, in in many countries although in the united states this might not manifest itself so much with uh uh with sports franchises uh but here in spain football clubs are corrupt so in this sense it is not surprising um i don't think or it would surprise me if they found any evidence today mm. The, I, I can imagine that the people at the Barcelona offices were very uh, cooperative with the police because they've cleaned um, 
their file cabinets weeks, if not months ago, because Barsagate is not not new. Um, what I what I'm curious about. Somebody tweeted this earlier. Is that there was a an audit um, by Pricewaterhouse Cooper? Right, the external audit. Yep. And uh, they signed off on this. And if you if you now hear how this was paid, and how how this was set up, I mean, how can you sign off on this? Right. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting to see to see what's going to happen. Um, I am. Um, I will not be sorry if Bartomeu spends a couple of years in prison. Not at all. I wish it'd be longer. He destroyed. He and Roger destroyed um, what could have been ten of the most glorious years of our club, where we had a prime prime Lionel Messi. And if he goes down over something as ridiculous as um, a social media company sending out tweets to make him look good, to make some players not look all that great. Yeah, let him go down. Yeah, I mean, it's a calculation. Uh, that, I mean, what is a tweet? I mean, I remember reading the tweet disparaging Carlos Puyol. I mean, what's the point? I mean, why mm -hmm. waste your energy to put yourself in jeopardy, to put your reputation in jeopardy, to tweet out a mean thing about a, a, a person that is no longer even at the club? Because of the things that went on behind the scenes, yeah, certainly, um, no. yeah, it's 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 negative. It's not so great, but um, I think again, as we started this show talking about the Barça Sevilla stuff, and then going on to the the club, the again the elections, like the the election does not mean that everything is going to be great. There's a lot of problems to fix, but the idea, and I, I never disparage Kules from from having hope, and that's what has survived the club from its Catalan roots on. That there's always hope, and there when it's not just when there's Messi, but when there's the academy that's been built. When you're built on the ideals and Mescaleon Club that Barca are, are, are meant to be to be built on, I, I'm I'm excited at the notion that I'm not saying that Juan Laporta is that figurehead. I, it's not that he's an idol, but he represents a change of, of of the of the page, if you will. And so my hope is that change of the page is that when people ask me, unlike in the last few seasons, when when I go on another interview or another another place and they ask me, oh, Mescaleon Club, what does that mean? Because now everyone's questioning what it means. I want to be able to clearly and distinctly say I knew what it meant. And now I'm. I can confirm to you that that's exactly what it means. So that that's what I, that's what I want to be able to do. That's my mission for turning this page with the new election. So uh, I, I think that'll wrap it up. Uh, again, Levon, I, I want to say good luck in, in voting. I, you again. I'm <laughs> glad that you didn't have to make your mind up just yet. Um, it's going to be between you and your ballot. So I think that'll wrap up another show. Unless you you want a final word. Um, I think uh, whoever. Uh, becomes president between uh, Laporta and Font. It's going to be Laporta, obviously. I have hope that it will turn out well. Um, I think there are risks to both of them, but let's sign off on hope tonight. Agreed, agreed. So I, I think that'll wrap up uh, another edition of the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Potter, at HiltonD13 for me. But the man to follow is at Barcelona. That's B-A-R-S-A-L-E-V on Twitter. And we are also on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group, tvpod.link backslash group, deeper dive discussions and all that. And we're on Patreon. You can help us make these shows at tvpod.link backslash Patreon. We're YouTube at the Barcelona Podcast. You can give us a, a subscribe over there so we can get to 10,000. And finally, 
Yes, I can be found co-hosting The Locker Room on FC Barcelona's official Twitch page. Uh, that's been in the works for a few months. And to respond to the quick questions, I already did two shows, if you already saw that. So the two questions that I want to quickly respond to is no, that doesn't change anything over here with what the podcast, obviously. we still What happens over here is what happens over here and what happens on the YouTube page, whatever. And no, I have no information, no connection to the club other than that. Uh, Levon, since you will be voting on the 7th, you still have the much closer connection to the club than I do <laughs> to simply even uh, co-hosting one of the shows. So I, I once again, I say enjoy the democracy. And uh, Levon, thanks so much for joining me this week. Thanks for inviting me. So thanks to you for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, talk to you soon at Forza Barca.